Well, today uh, I have some good news for you as we start out our, our message today. We're going to talk about developing oneness in our relationship with God. Here's the good news, is that, that God himself desires to have a close relationship with us. And, and that's amazing because if, if you think about this, you know, anybody ever like me maybe pursued a closer relationship with somebody. It could be a romantic pursuit. It could be a friendship. It could be um, really just about anything and, and feel like you kind of got the stiff arm, you know, and it's like, I, I, I want to get closer, but the other person doesn't want to get closer. That's really awkward. Uh, makes you not feel so great. Here's the good news is that God himself wants a deeper relationship with us. So you don't ever have to worry about re being rejected. As we move closer to him, he's, that's his desire. We're going to see that today. And our, our passage of scripture that we'll jump into here in just a little bit, uh, we've been talking a lot about oneness lately. We've been talking about, uh, we talked last Sunday about oneness between husband and wife. We had a missionary couple from Kenya here. And uh, I think the, the, the most encouraging part of what, of our conversation last week was listening to them talk about their prayer, how they pray together and the oneness that that brings in their marriage and, and having, you know, been there a few times and uh, prayed with some of my Kenyan brothers and sisters, I can kind of picture that, and I know uh, how they go after that. And by the way, just a little encouragement, those of you that are married, I, I hope that some of the things that were discussed last week did inspire you to take some steps, and specifically, if you're not praying, guys in particular, if you're not praying with your wife, let me just encourage you to do that. Uh, I know that can feel like a scary step at times, but it's crazy to me how uh, men, you know, for the most part, would take a bullet for their wives but are sometimes afraid to initiate something as simple as praying together. So I want to encourage you with that. But, but we talked a little bit about uh, last Sunday, I brought a funnel with me because I think that's a picture of where we've been. You know, we talked about how we started on the wide end of the funnel, talking about oneness within the whole body of Christ, and then we've moved down family. Uh, we talked about marriage last week. We're getting to the very bottom, the very tip of the funnel today because I want to talk about oneness in our relationship with God personally, which is the foundation of all these other things. But back to the, the theme of you know, what if, what if God is really doing something? What if out of all of the, the challenges that we've been through recently, what if that caused people and caused you and caused me to go deeper in our relationship with God? That would be a wonderful thing to have come out of that. And I think there's a great opportunity for that to happen. Today, I want us to open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at one of the letters that Jesus writes to the church uh, the church in Laodicea is going to be our uh, text for today. And I want you to read this from the, the perspective of not Jesus just, you know, I'm scolding you for doing wrong, but more from the perspective of, look, I, I, I want a deeper relationship with you. And we'll see when we get to the end of the passage that specifically. That's his heart. That's where this is going. So Revelation 3, starting in verse 14, says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write... These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. 
Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, we just, what we just read there is one of seven letters that Jesus sends to seven different churches uh, they're recorded in the book of Revelation. The church in Laodicea was a significant church in the New Testament times. If you read through the rest of your New Testament, you'll see them mentioned a few different times. And apparently Paul even wrote a letter to the church in Laodicea that we do not have. Uh, but Jesus is addressing the church there. And as he addresses the churches in all the different areas, the part that's remarkable to me is that he always says something along the lines of, I know your deeds, or I know this about you. He was very intimately aware of what was going on with his churches. And in this case, he points out the fact that this church in Laodicea isn't where they should have been. In fact, we see in verse 20, and we'll come back to this later in the message, that Jesus is standing outside the church, apparently. He says, I stand at the door and knock. He's waiting for someone to let him in. He wants to have that type of, of intimacy and relationship with his people, uh, but it's not happening at this point. And so there are three things that, that I see here that he points out that will help us to evaluate. Am I kind of keeping Jesus out? Am, is my relationship where it needs to be? Is there closeness with God like there needs to be in my life? And the first one, the first way we can evaluate that is through the things that we do. And we see that Jesus says that right there uh, in verse 15, I know your deeds. And the thing that he says about their deeds is that they're neither hot nor cold. Now, let me give a little help in interpreting this. What this does not mean is that your deeds are not, he's not saying by hot nor cold that it's not that you're either all on fire for me 100% or you're just completely gone the other direction and have no interest because he commends hot and cold. So it, that can't be what he means. I think what he's getting at here is something that the, the Laodiceans would have clearly understood, and that was the, the water supply that they had. They did not have their own water supply in Laodicea, so they had to pump water in from surrounding cities. There was a city to the north called Hierapolis, uh, and they, had, they were known for their hot water springs. And the hot water at that time uh, had a medicinal purpose. And so it had healing value to it, these hot waters did. And so they would pump in hot water from Hierapolis, but by the time it got to Laodicea, it, it wasn't really hot anymore, right? It just kind of was lukewarm. Then uh, there was Colossae out to the east, and they were known for their cold springs, very refreshing, you know, cold water brings refreshment. And so they would pump in this cold water, but by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. And so really what he's saying here is, look, you're not hot, meaning that you don't, you don't provide some healing benefit. You're not cold, meaning that you don't provide refreshment when it's needed. You're just lukewarm. And as a result, he said, I'm going to spew you out or spit you out of my mouth. There's really not much of value in just being lukewarm the way he's describing them here. And so it's important for us to understand as we you know, look through this passage and see Jesus talking about their deeds or their actions, the things that they do. It's important to understand the relationship between our faith and what we do. And James 2.18 says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So this is a biblical concept that we see throughout Scripture, that our 
our actions are an overflow of what we believe, of our faith. If we have genuine faith in Christ, then it will reflect itself in our actions or our deeds. Uh, that's what James is talking about. But it's really, really important that we get the order right here. That we understand that faith comes first and that then actions or deeds are an overflow of that faith. Because here's the, the reality is this, that I suspect there are people right now, there's some of you in the room, some of you that, that are watching right now, that have grown up with a mindset that your actions are what allow you to be acceptable to God or not. That if you are ever going to be received into the family of God, then you have to do a certain number of things, maybe say a certain number of prayers, maybe you know, uh, go to church, maybe you know, give this amount, or so, whatever it may be, that there's this mindset that God accepts me based on whether I'm good enough or not. And I want to be really, really clear about what Scripture teaches about that, that if that were the case, we would all be in trouble because we're not good enough. We don't measure up to God's standard. God's standard is way up here. God's standard is perfection. We don't even come close to perfection. That's what the cross is all about. That's why Jesus came. And in Ephesians 2, listen to the way it's described. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For it is by, what does it say? By grace that you've been saved through what? Through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Let's talk about those two words real quickly. Grace means unmerited favor. So when God extends grace to us, he's extending his favor. He's extending forgiveness. He's extending the opportunity to be a part of his family. None of those things are things that we earn. In fact, when you look at terms that are used to talk about describing us becoming part of God's family. It talks about being saved. It talks about being born again. It talks about being adopted into the family of God. None of those have anything to do with the merits of the one being brought into the family of God. They all have to do with what God does on our behalf. And so by, by saying it's by grace that we've been saved, it's emphasizing the fact that we don't bring anything to the table when it comes to our salvation. We are never going to be good enough. And that's good news for us. Because we can just rest in what Christ has done. We can find our forgiveness and our salvation in the fact that Jesus died to pay the penalty for us. And he rose from the dead. And so we have been, in God's eyes, uh, made worthy. Not that we are worthy on our own, but we, we take on the worthiness of Christ. So that's, it's God's grace. But then it also says that God's grace through, what's it through? through what's it say? been saved by grace through faith through faith so faith is the way that we receive it God extends grace God wants all of us to be forgiven God wants us to be part of his family but it doesn't automatically happen the way it happens is through faith so Jesus died for us he rose again for us he gives us that good news we hear the good news uh, we hear about the grace of God. Now we have to combine that hearing with faith and say, yes, I'm going to submit to Christ. I'm going to give my heart to him. I'm going to put my belief in Jesus. And if I do that, then 
I become part of the family of God. Now, once that happens, then verse 10 is really important. A lot of times, you know, we, we get really hung up on verses 8 and 9, which are really foundational for our understanding of salvation and how a person becomes a part of the family of God. But we leave out verse 10 where it says that in Christ Jesus, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in Christ Jesus, meaning once you have accepted God's grace through faith, you put your trust in Christ, at that point then, the natural thing is that good works should follow. And if they don't, it's an indication that something is amiss in their relationship. Same thing is true for us. So if our, if our lifestyle, if our works don't measure up to what Scripture teaches they should be, we should go back and say, okay, something is off a little bit here because what should happen is that our faith and our relationship with Christ leads to good work. So the first thing is in the things that we do. That's a way that we can evaluate. But a second way that we can evaluate where we are in our closeness with God is through what we value. The things that we do and then what we value. Verse 17, you say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He's saying, look, you think you have what you need. What you value are the things of the world. Earlier in chapter 2, one of the letters was written to a church in Smyrna. The church in Smyrna, Jesus says, you're poor, but you're really rich. Materially, they didn't have much, but he said, because you, of your relationship with me, you're really rich. The exact opposite is the case for the church in Laodicea. You think that you're rich because you have these things, but in reality, you're poor because you're missing it. And it's so sad what he says here is, he says, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor. You know, they think they have what they need because they're valuing the wrong things. They're valuing those things that... Um, that are that are temporary you know real wealth is not measured in what we possess real wealth is measured in who possesses us if we belong to Christ if we have depth of relationship with Christ that's where real riches come and that's the message that Jesus is communicating to them is look you you're you're valuing the wrong things and sometimes when we value the wrong things it, it leads us to a point of, you know, compromise. Maybe what we value is relationships and being accepted and being loved. That's a good thing. I mean, God created us with the need to be accepted and be loved. But that can lead to searching for that in the wrong types of ways, searching for that in unhealthy relationships, searching for that in, in compromise and things that I'm thinking, well, if I just do this, then someone will love me in return. Genuine love and acceptance comes from Christ, not uh, from having to compromise anything that we believe. And so Jesus is kind of getting that, that point across and that message across to his people there uh, that, that you're valuing the wrong things. And what he really wants them to do is to value him and to, to make him uh, the, the, the top priority. And so as you continue on there, it says he, he's counseling them. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold that is refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And then he says, white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, salve to put on your eyes. It may be helpful also to know something about what was going on in this time in the city of Laodicea. 
they were known for their textile industry. They were known for producing clothes and things like that. And he's saying, look, you have this abundance of clothes here, and you're known for all your clothes. But I'm telling you that if you really want to cover your, your shamefulness, if, if you want to, and he uses the word white clothes, which is symbolic of purity. He's saying, look, you can, you can make all the clothes that you want, but none of that is going to cover your your, your shamefulness, cover your sinfulness, because we can't do that on our own. Only Jesus can do that. And, and that's what he's trying to communicate to them is that that's the way that we do it. And by the way, the same thing is true when he talks about this salve to put on your eyes. They were also known for a powder that they would export that was used in an eye salve. And so he said, look, you are the ones who think you have something to give to people to help them be able to see. But I want you to understand, if you really want to have spiritual sight, if you really want to be able to see, then get this out from me. Let me be the one to give you, to open your eyes and give you genuine sight. This gold refined in fire that he counsels them to buy. Here's what I think he's, he's telling them. I think he's communicating to them that their faith needs to be tested, that maybe they need to go through uh, a, a time of trial, maybe they need to go through a time where um, you know, they, they are forced to really uh, put their faith to the test. And the, and the place I get that from is 1 Peter, this is why I interpret it that way, 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, starting in verse 6, it says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, that, that connection between the purifying fire and your faith being tested. And I think what was happening here is the people were so dependent upon you know, worldly wealth and other things like that, they got comfortable. Anybody think we're in danger of the same thing happening to us in our culture today? When you live in the richest country in the world, when you live in a community that is fairly well off and we have most of what we need, so easy to begin to value the wrong things and just think, no, I'm good, I've got what I need, and not even realize what we're lacking, not even realize that the things of real value are the things that, that, that Christ provides, not the material comforts that we have. You know, sometimes I think it's important for our faith to be tested. I think it's important for us to go through kind of that refiner's fire. Scripture talks about because it can knock us out of um, cruise control. You know, sometimes we can just kind of put it on spiritual cruise control. I'm doing good, everything's good. Um, you know, not necessarily anything that would you know, force me uh, to depend on God. And, and you know, it's easy to put it on cruise control, but you don't put it on cruise control when you're navigating landmines. When you're going through a challenging time, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, you're like, yep, that's where I'm at right now. You're going through one of those times in your life. You're not on cruise control. I mean, you're having to navigate every little step and every little maneuver. But during those times, it's an opportunity for your faith to grow. And during those times, it's an opportunity for you to figure out a little bit more uh, who Jesus is and to develop the closeness of that relationship. And I think that's part of, uh, of what he was getting at here was saying, look, as you go through some of these challenges, it's going to be a good thing because it's going to help you learn to depend on me even further. And that really is the bottom line for us, is to, to just learn to depend completely. So 
you, you, you get past that section. Jesus makes it clear. Okay, here's the problem. You know, your, your deeds aren't what they need to be. You're valuing the wrong things. And so verse 19, what's the result of that? Verse 19 says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Those whom I, what? I love, I rebuke and discipline. It is so important, guys, for us to understand the motivation behind what Jesus is telling them. And the same thing is true for us. The motivation behind him bringing rebuke into our life, bringing discipline into our life is because he loves us. And when you love somebody and somebody begins to go off on this path down the wrong way, you don't just let them go and not do anything or say anything. You, you go after them. You attempt to bring them back. And Jesus isn't going to watch his children just kind of wander off down this path and just not do anything about it. He's going to bring this discipline. He's going to bring that rebuke to us. But you've got to understand that the purpose or the, the heart behind it is one of love. You know, if you, if you think you know a person's intent behind their correction, it goes a long way, right? We think about this, even, even as we have kids with us here today, you, maybe you can relate to this. If not, you probably remember what it was like as a kid. Mom and dad get on your case. Sometimes the thought is, man, y'all just want to make my life miserable, right? And we begin to assume a, a motivation behind it rather than an assumption of, you know, you're probably just doing what's best for me. <laughs> Same thing is true if you're, let's say you're in a work situation, you have a boss that's just on your case all the time, just always riding you about something. And if your assumption is that person, you know, they're just kind of, there are just some grumpy individuals out there in the world and they just got to let it out, you know, and they let it all out on me. I just we've become the scapegoat. There's really no reason for it. There's nothing beneficial about it. They just need to get it out of their system. Probably not going to respond very well to that type of a correction, right? But have you ever had somebody ever work for somebody that you knew loved you, that you knew believed in you and wanted the best for you, and when they correct you, you know that the motivation is because they genuinely want to see you do better. They genuinely believe in you and know that you can excel and know that you can do better. It's, isn't it easier to receive correction when you know where the person's heart is? Now, I say easier. <laughs> it still isn't easy, is it? I mean, think about this, we could talk about this last Sunday, but in a marriage relationship, you get corrected or rebuked in some way by a spouse, we get defensive a lot of times, right? But, but it's easier if we remind ourselves, you know what, this person loves me, wants the best for me. Certainly that's true in Christ's relationship with us. He makes it abundantly clear that his motivation is, I love you. And I'm doing this because I love you. And, and, and then, so here's the third thing, a way that we can tell the closeness of our relationship with God, and it's simply how we respond to his correction. When God brings that correction or that discipline into our lives, how do we respond to it? Do we respond with defensiveness? Do we push away? Um, you know what a lot of people do anytime there's any type of correction brought into the person's life, they just run away from that relationship. Yeah, they don't want to have anything to do with it. It's like, I, I'm just going to keep my distance from this person because I don't want to deal with it. And if that's the way we respond to God's correction in our lives, then you can see the distance is just going to keep getting greater and greater. But what we should do is respond by saying, I don't like this. It doesn't necessarily feel good, but I know that you're doing this because you love me. And so rather than running away, I'm going to run towards you. I'm going to move closer to you so that, that, that I can 
you know, respond the way that I need to and, and experience what you want me to experience. Back to verse 20 that we talked about a moment ago. In verse 20, Jesus said, um, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Isn't that a remarkable image to think about Jesus standing at the door knocking, waiting to be let in by his own church? Waiting for, for someone to open the door. Now, could he bust that door down? Yeah, absolutely. You better believe he could if he wanted to. But he doesn't. He waits for us to respond and to invite him in. And the invitation is this. Look, if you open the door, I'm going to come in. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to eat together. We're going to enjoy fellowship together. In fact, you get to verse 21. You know, when you're victorious, I'll let you sit, sit with me. And I mean, it's this great, close relationship that he wants to develop with his people but we have to respond by opening the door. We have to let him in. We have, to, we have to respond appropriately to the correction that he brings. That's not always easy to do, but it's so important. So, so very important. So the things that we see in this passage, just kind of to, to, to review what we've talked about. Three questions I want to encourage you to ask yourself. The first one is this. Are the, the things that I do reflective of a deep relationship with God because one way that we can tell is through our actions. The second thing, the question I want you to ask you is what do I really value the most? You know, am I placing value on the things of God in relationship with God or am I maybe valuing other things that are temporary and things that don't last like they were in the church in Laodicea? And then here's the third one is to ask the question, how do I respond to God's rebuke? or correction. When God brings correction into my life, do I make excuses? Do I run away? From, do I justify? Or do I genuinely receive that and respond the way that I need to? I'll wrap it up with a little story of how I had the opportunity to put that into practice this week <laughs> because I got one of those, one of those uh, corrections from God. Uh, so Monday, some of you may know this uh, about me already, uh, most people don't like Mondays. I love Mondays because I'm off on Mondays, and uh, that's the day that Sean and I generally spend together. And, and uh, so we had a, a full day planned last Monday, and we were going to uh, go to lunch. We needed to go out near Mesquite to get some stuff. And so I thought, oh, she loves Cracker Barrel. So we went to Cracker Barrel for lunch uh, on, on Monday last week. And we were sitting at Cracker Barrel, and my phone rang. And I didn't recognize the number first. I don't generally answer it, you know, especially if it's something I don't recognize and I'm having a meal or whatever. So, but for some reason, I answered the phone. And after I did, I wish that I hadn't, but I did. And, and the person on the other end of the phone was uh, the apartment complex where our youngest daughter lives. And we, she's been there since August. And uh, when we signed her lease, we signed um, under this window where they're offering incentive, you know, a certain amount off per month. And so we did that. We got it all signed, all taken care of. And about two weeks later, they, they got back to us and they said, hey, we put the wrong dates on the lease. We need to rewrite a new one. And the new one didn't have the incentive included in the lease. And so I pointed that out to them and they said, yeah, it's because the system won't let us create that because it's outside the window, uh, but we'll send you a separate document, you know, that shows that you do still have that same. I said, great. So I got the separate document first before signing the lease. I'm going through all this in my mind thinking, you know, if they come back and try to, you know, and I'm trying to do everything I can to prevent that from happening. Call on the other end is, oh yeah, that incentive that you talked about, no, that, that was, that's no longer good when you signed your lease and all this stuff. And guys, I'm going to tell you, 
You know, you ever feel your body temperature just kind of, I mean, just like I could feel it just rising up in me. And I'm sitting there on the phone and I'm just, you know, my heart starts racing. I mean, I, I just, everything, I just start to get so upset. And I'm thinking to myself, this is exactly what I was trying to avoid, right? They even told us back in August, oh, yeah, we'll get it taken care of. Well, that was a different manager. Now a new manager's come in and didn't know anything about it. You know, you know the story. And I'm getting so frustrated. And I'm pretty sure the way that I communicated reflected that. <laughs> in fact, I'm pretty sure I was rude to her and the things that I said, you know. Um, in fact, I even told her later on in the day, uh, you know, this is my day with my wife, and this kind of ruined my day. And I just want you to know I'm frustrated by this. I shouldn't be dealing with this. It should have been handled. I, I was rude to her. So the next morning, I get that, that, that corrective, you know, the Holy Spirit's like, you need to do something about this. Because here's what I've been praying a lot about. I've been praying a lot that God give me opportunities in every conversation that I have to point that toward you. Whether that's just to say, hey, can I pray for you in some way? Um, you know, do you know who Christ is? Whatever. And so that's been on the forefront of my mind. I've been trying to put that into practice more and more and more. And the question that came to me was, could you ask her today how you could pray for her after the way you spoke to her yesterday? I was like, dang it, God. You know, no, I, I think I need to apologize. And so, and I did. I said, you know, I know you're just trying to do your job. I was rude to you. I'm sorry for being rude to you. Um, still want to get this worked out, which we did, by the way. They got it worked out by the end of the day, which is another whole other lesson. I mean, all this frustration and everything for, you know, within 24 hours, just about it was done and unnecessary, getting worked up for no reason. Um, but I think I, it would have been really easy for me to say, but I'm right here. And I was, and that's why I was so frustrated. You know, if I know then I'm absolutely right and there's no doubt about it and you try to tell me, and then I get really frustrated, you know. Um, I could have said, hey, I'm, but I was right. They, they shouldn't have done that. They, and all that's true. But when God brings correction in our life and tells us this is what I need you to do about something, question, are we going to make excuses and justify? Are we just going to say, God, you're right. And this is what I need to do as a response to that. Um, this time I got it right. I don't always. I'll be the first one to tell you. I'm one that can say, yeah, but I was right here. And, you know, um, this time, thankfully, was willing to, to receive that. But it just comes back to this verse again to me. I stand at the door and I knock. That's what God does. And that's what God is doing now. In fact, some of you know exactly what he's knocking about. Some of you are like, yeah, God's been trying to deal with me on this issue for a long time, and I've been pushing him away, and I haven't wanted to go there. Listen, in order for us to really develop oneness with God, we have to go there. We have to allow him to deal with those things in our lives, understanding that his motivation is that he loves us, that he wants the best for us. He wants to get us to a point where we can, can be closer, we can grow in our relationship with him. The question is, are we going to have the faith and, the, and the, the, have enough of a soft heart to respond and say yes when he does? Let's pray. Lord, I do ask today that you would give us tender hearts, that you would allow us to respond to you the way we should, especially, Lord, when you bring that correction into our lives. Help us to, uh, even though it doesn't feel good and we might not want to deal with it, help us to have... Uh, tender hearts to deal with it. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that 
that you would never be stuck on the outside knocking and us not responding. But help us just to respond to you and invite you in and enjoy the fellowship that you offer. In your name we pray. Amen.